and take them into us. Blessed be God and I, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Ki Savo. In the uh, in the Ashkenazi. Most of us have come out of uh, of some type of visible church representation, which entails an understanding theologically that the Jews had an opportunity to be chosen by God, to handle the very oracles of God, to become his chosen, select, and treasured people. And over time, they failed miserably. The curses of which we read in this portion came upon them, and they were forever forsaken by God. This is heresy. This is untrue. This is the travesty which has been brought upon the visible representation of the church, especially in America today. Couldn't be further from the truth. And those of you listening from afar, especially a big shout out to Torah North in Canada. For those of you who uh, have not yet heard uh, Greg Upham's teaching on the etiquette of the Torah Sefer, um, I want to highly recommend that you listen to the preamble given by Jonathan Upham regarding the movement of God's Spirit in the Orthodox people, both in the land and abroad. They know Yeshua. They are waiting for and hastening the coming of our Messiah as we are. And it's exciting as they believe time of the Gentiles is coming to a close. We look in the Apostolic Scriptures and we see that the time of the Gentiles is referred to with a counting term. The fullness it says of the Gentiles. Until that's done. And it appears that that's about to happen. And in your generation, in your lifetimes it may be the case. As God continues to reveal himself to his chosen people. So uh, as we read through this, in an overview perspective, we see that the people of Israel are where physically now? Where, where are they? They're in Moab. They're outside the land looking in. If you're in the land and you're facing north, if you're in the south of Israel facing Jerusalem, if you're in the north, Facing with your back to Jerusalem, the mountains of Moab are always on your right. You can always see them. If you know if you're north or south of Jerusalem, you know which way to turn for prayers. They're outside the land. They're looking to the land. They're looking west. And Moshe Rabbeinu, 
is giving them this discourse. Who can tell me quickly what's the bottom line, really, in this portion? The bottom line. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. Okay. Do you think that this continues today? Do you think that this was strictly to them, or can you spiritualize it and say it's for you too? Spiritualize it and say it's for you too. Thank you. It's a practical matter. God is true to his word. He cannot deny himself. He's not, he will not lie like a man. He said, if you keep my commandments, I will bless you while you're on this planet. This has nothing to do with a place in the world to come. It has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. That's not what we're talking about. But if you obey his commandments, you will be blessed, sinner or not. Righteous or not. So, I know you have many things that you'd like to speak of. But before I give you the floor, I would bring you to 27 verse 1. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, Observe the entire what? Commandment. Commandment. Singular. Singular. The entire commandment that I command you this day. You have a lot of commandments. He's already recapped the entire Torah. So we see that keeping the commandment of God is a plural whole. I'll take you further then to 29. Chapter 29, I believe. Is this the last verse in 29? Wow, who had to read this 28 stuff? Is that you? Holy cow. Jeez, yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, great job. Yeah, it was an actual. Uh, go to 29.1 and back up one verse. You're in 28. If you have a chumash like me. In fact, if you have a chumash like me, you should be on page 1085. How cool is that? These are the words of the covenant that Adonai commanded Moshe to seal with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant that he sealed with them in Horeb. Oh my, well we have a little problem, don't we? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Additional stipulation. Wow. Let's see. Now I, I, I thought that I was taught in the visible representation of the church by some that the whole Old Testament was the Old Covenant. Singular. There's one covenant, and it's old. <laughs> you can insert bad. That's the bad covenant. This is the good covenant. You're in the new covenant. Where is the new covenant written? In Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, we see the old covenant. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Just shot my theology right in the foot, didn't I? Holy cow. Well, it turns out that the the Old Testament, as it's called, or rather the Tanakh, which is a an acronym which stands for Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, which in English is the instructions, 
prophets, and the writings. Now, I personally include in the Ketuvim the apostolic writings. So, my Ketuvim may be a little chubbier than yours. <laughs> but it turns out that it turns out that the the Torah itself, which some would claim that the books of Moses as the covenant, actually describes here that there's two covenants. As I was reading this morning, I happened across, strictly by half a chance, Pinchas! Who's Phineas? What happened with him? He got another covenant. That's three. First Samuel has another. First Samuel has another one. With David. Aaron got a covenant. Aaron got a covenant. Noah got a covenant. Well, actually, that covenant was with the land and all of us, but you're right, Noah. Abraham had a covenant. That's a big deal. And you've got the new one in Jeremiah. I'm up to like six or seven, guys. Can you see David? That was the first Samuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Right? So, <laughs> so can, you, can you see that it's not just the one covenant. So which covenant did they break? Did they get cursed, by the way? Did yes. they get cursed? Yes. They got cursed. I mean, some of the stuff that you read there is abominable. It's horrible. How do you know that that happened? You can read Kings and Chronicles. You can read the 500 years that we have all of the writings of the prophets, and you can see that there was some terrible things, and it actually wrote down that it happened. We did not read the Holocaust and the curses today. Nowhere in the curses today do we identify anything with, with regard to the so there are those that would say that Israel got what she deserved at the time of the Babylonian uh, siege, uh, which are in- intimately described here. As a result of God's promise right. that if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I will curse you. On the other hand, the Holocaust is absolutely removed as a picture of those curses. The Holocaust, for me, when I read uh, Isaiah 53, I'm reading about the Holocaust. I'm reading about my Messiah and his suffering, but I'm also reading about the Jewish people and their suffering that didn't start in 1936, but started, you know, when there was a one Jew, when it was Abraham all by himself. Right. And that for every generation there is suffering. And the Holocaust is simply the culmination or the or the crescendo of a suffering that God has preordained to be upon a people in order that we all may be redeemed. Let's, two things. First, thank you, great reminder. I didn't think of that, that's good. But to reiterate that God preordained that a people would suffer that we might be redeemed. How many of you believe that Jews suffer that you might be redeemed? If you don't believe that, guys, just read the Apostolic Scriptures. I mean, it's very clear. Right? If he would do this to his people that you might come in, how much more, a call Bacomer argument, how much more is are we going to be blessed when they do? See, let it be like itself. Good. Excellent. Um, one of the things you see from the writings of the Jewish sages after the apostolic writings mm-hmm. is that a lot of these prophecies were also fulfilled in the initial stages of the Roman exile. Sure. Yes. And um, 
and actually, one, I mean, one, there's one point. I think, ships taken by ships to Egypt. To Egypt that happens. He also has another passage where it talks about um, uh, the foxes running around. Yeah, that was in um, the Talmud. And in the Talmud, they tell the story of the fo- they see the, the foxes running around the Temple Mount. And I, and, and I believe it's David or Rashi. Is it one of the rabbis starts laughing? It's Akiva. Akiva. Or he starts, he starts giving a blessing or something. And of course, the rest of the rabbis are appalled. They're like, well, what? What are you doing here? And he's like, God fulfilled this curse. Down to this door. This love. How much more will we fulfill the promises mm-hmm. of restoring them? And I think that's that's really where I think that the, that whole theology you argued where God rejected his people, he gave up on them completely, um, has I would has unfortunately lingered, but nonetheless has completely died the test of authenticity by history. Mm-hmm. Because what God did do that was not that, that the Christians didn't, thought he would never do is he fulfilled a lot of his promises in the prophets. We've been reading these comfort passages about bringing the people back. He Amen. has started that process, not finished it, started that process. Amen. And the land of Israel today is getting a lot of the blessings that we just read. You shall borrow the, and not, you shall yeah. own and not borrow. Because yeah. you know, the desert is blossoming. The, the economy is growing. There, I mean, all those blessings about wine and oil, and I mean, it's just you know incredible. And to see that and to realize that. That, and if, you, if you've been to Israel today, it's unfortunately not a religious completely place. religious country. Um, but there are a lot of Jewish men who are observing God's commandments with stringent intention and being very careful. And I believe that it is on their merit right. that God is blessing them with the blessings that he had in this past. I don't disagree with you, Joshua. And we need to remember that when the children of Israel came out of the first exile in Babylon, they came back with a zeal to keep those commandments. And from that, we get that Pharisee sense of being particular about the commandments because they knew if we don't keep these, he's going to kick us in the butt. As simple as that. We don't want to do that again. You had something to say, but I think I saw your father's right arm twitch, and I need to give him the, uh, the, the, the deal. The Mr. Upham, did you have something, or did you want to continue studying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's always going to study. The answer is yes. <laughs> well, with respect to the last verse there in 28, um, the covenant he made with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he sealed with them before, one understanding of that is the all, everybody for everybody for whom with whom the covenant was made at Horeb by this point are dead with the exception of three guys yeah exactly so in in essence he's reaffirming the same covenant to the next generation who is now about to you know who has been born most of them were born in the desert if not all of them in the the 40 years and they're now um, uh, they're now standing on the plains of Moab across from Jericho, getting ready to go in to inherit the promise, and God is making the same covenant, affirming the same covenant with that generation as he did the previous generation at the foot of Mount Sinai. Does everybody understand that they were standing as pretty much the same place once before? I'm not, I'm not really sure about going in here. Why don't we send us some spots? Just have them take that. 40 years later, here we are again. You can almost hear the like the, the little voice. Don't ask for spies. Don't ask for spies. 
Just uh, a comment in regards to the, the um, chastisement or the punishment of God's people. We can take that as confirmation that they're still His people. Absolutely. If God had cast them off, He why why would they still be in the forefront? Every other Good nation point. that's been hit that hard is gone, that's except right. for this nation. Good point. So, yeah. Good point. He chastens those he loves, mm -hmm. and exactly. the chastening is demonstration of the exactly. life. Good, good reminder. Um, as sad as it is to make Mr. Crow comment about just the Holocaust, and you know, in verse 61 of chapter 20, 28, it says, Even any illness and blood that is not written in the book of the Torah, I don't know, will bring upon you until you are destroyed. And it, you know, that, that might be like a blanket clause that says, You know what? It's yeah. If, if it's bad, you can expect it. <laughs> yeah, and if you didn't get it, there's more coming. Yeah, exactly right. Yes? Um, kind of like stepping back to chapter 26, uh, starting in verse 16. Uh, this said, and I got to command you to perform the decrees and, and the statutes, and you shall observe and perform them with all your heart and with all your soul. And then verse 17, there's some interesting language here. Since you have distinguished Adonai today to be a God for you, and to walk in his ways, and to observe his decrees, his commandments, and his statutes, and to hearken to his voice. And Adonai has distinguished you today to be for him a treasured people, as he spoke to you to observe all his commandments, and to make you supreme over all the nations that he made for praise for renown, etc., etc. Um, that is an exchange of essentially wedding vows right there. In other words, it's saying, in other words, it's, it's the people are saying, yes, I take you to be my, to be my lawfully wedded husband, and I'm going to, you know, right. submit to you and be obedient to you, yeah. and God is saying, and I am taking you to be my lawfully wedded wife, and you are going to be treasured among all the nations. You know, that's wedding language, you know, and this guy's the expert on wedding law, by the way. That's right. <laughs> but, no, but encouraging in that is that just as in a bridegroom and a bride motivate one another towards those vows, it's not all one-sided. They motivate one another. That's exactly what Ibn Ezra said was God was motivated, actually, by Israel's response, and Israel was motivated by God's response to exchange vows. Absolutely. That's cool, isn't it? Actually, okay. Just one, one last, uh, one other thought. Um, Moses then tells him, look, you're going you're gonna to go, you're going to go to the land, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna go to Mount Ebal. You're gonna take these stones, cover them with plaster, write the Torah on it, set them up. And then these tribes are going over on the other mountain, and Mount Gerizim, and you know that whole whole deal, right? And you know the question is, what's the significance of that? Why? What's the deal with Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim? What's interesting is, um, turns out that those mountains are are uh, are right next to. And we have in Genesis chapter 12, Parsha Lech this is when Abraham is called. And God tells Abraham to go to the land of Go, go to the place to be shown, and he takes him to Canaan. And um, verse 6 of chapter 12, Abram passed into the land as far as the site of Shechem. Okay? So he's at Shechem, which is which is very close proximity to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim, right? Mm -hmm. And what does he do there? Um, 
Adonai appeared to Avram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. First, first time, the first promise that God makes to Abraham is right here in the same location under the shadow, if you will, of these two mountains. And he promises Abraham, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And what does Abraham do? He builds an altar. So what do we have? You know, 400-something years later, we have his descendants coming back into the land. And what's the first place they're supposed to stop and go through this little ritual with the altar and you know the blessings and the cursing is in is on Mount Ebal, Mount Gerasim, essentially overlooking Shechem. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't recall, but in our portion this week, does it not say that after they did all of that stuff, they they made sacrifice there? Um, Actually, they don't do it here. They just commanded to do it here. We'll see that. Commanded to do it. Okay, so the commanded. Good. See that in judges, I think. Yeah. Joshua. Joshua. Oh, too slow. Too late. Senior order. Um, Notice you're wearing the OD green. That's good. Yes. Just in case I call crap. Anyway, um, to kind of dovetail off of what Johnny said, uh, that verse um, in 28. 61. Yeah, 61. Even any illness in any blood is not written in this book. So the converse of that, which is if you keep the, because there's a lot of practicality to keeping the Torah, but at the time, you know, the, the Jews may not have known that because we know a lot more now than we did than we did then. Mm -hmm. The example is going to bring up, which is in the Middle Ages, Dark Ages era, they had the Black Plague. Right. The Jews didn't suffer because they kept the Torah and kept the refuse out of their community. Washed their hands. Washed their hands. Didn't eat pigs. Or chose not to bury their dead in the walls. Exactly. <laughs> everybody else. Oh look, it's Uncle Sue. Civilized. Right. And everybody else got it, which is why everybody else got it, but none of the Jews got it. And that's what they were actually accused of starting it, because none of them were sick. Sure. Yeah. So point. this is this is actually a double edge because you were protected from that's right. any illness or below as long as you are. Exactly right. I kind of want to stir the pot a little bit, and I would like to get comment and feedback back from some of the very wise men and surrounded by right now um, and ladies. Um, but my question is, or discussion is on these blessings. Can they be appropriated on an individual level, or is it strictly for the nation, blessings and curses? Because I feel like you know, Job is a primary example where you have godly men keep the commandments, who get some of the blessings, perhaps we get them for a time, but like the way it's described here, everything seems to always go perfectly. I don't know about you, I don't know many people like that, besides yourself. So um, that being the case, like, is it really an individual level, or is it a really a national level, or is it both? And what do you do with situations where it doesn't seem to happen? Why do the righteous suffer? To make atonement for the unrighteous. Right. To make atonement for the unrighteous. Right. Because the righteous can to make atonement for the unrighteous. The righteous do not suffer for themselves because they're righteous. So why do they suffer? They suffer for the sake of the unrighteous. This is a clear teaching. Not only in the scriptures, but also it is the basis of your salvation. He who was without sin became sin on your behalf. For your sake. He suffered that you might be saved. Why would he suffer? He was righteous. He suffered for you. It's the ultimate in that whole game. When I read things like these reading here, I always try to come back to Mm -hmm. 
because you have those who miraculously were healed that came back from the dead, and yet you have those who have torn and sawn in half. Yeah. And so you and see and it, it doesn't say that the, the world wasn't then the world wasn't even worthy, worthy of that. Right. So I, you know, I think we have to take the balance of yes, God's promises are true and His curses are true, and you want to stay along that line of blessings, but there are always circumstances that God uses bring us closer to him, bring the community closer to him, bring the world closer to him, that he uses, that are hard for us to see and understand. And most of the time, he wants to use his children. I think it's only under duress that God chooses to use pagan kings and whatnot. And I, I, I think every time I've seen, he uses a pagan king, later on the pagan king gets whopped. <laughs> <laughs> he calls him his servant when he's working with him, and then later on, whammo! What, what, why are we wiping these guys out? Because they've sinned before me. They're an abomination. I thought he was your servant. Well, that was then. I was just using him. You know, that kind of thing. So. I, I believe that, uh, Mr. Ruffin. Rob? Uh, I agree. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but I do think, I mean, by the same token, though, God, you know, God, we cannot manipulate God. Right? So we stand on his promises like, in, in faith. Um, and, but God is sovereign. God will do what He's going to do in the context of His greater plan and, and, and whatnot. But I think we were, I was talking with Mr. Gordon during Oneg, and you know when you read all the blessings about you know uh, how you know how your, your cattle, your, your your livestock, etc., 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 would be blessed. Uh, to me, it harkens back to the story in the Gospels where the rich young ruler comes to Messiah and he says, Rabbi, what must I do to to have a place in the world to come? And he says, the commandments. And he says, well, I've been doing that. Straight A's, my dude. Straight A's. And, and, uh, which, by the way, is an interesting thing for people who don't think commandments have anything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then Yeshua says, well, great. Then sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the young man walks away in that trouble, right? And that whole idea of the, you know, that it's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle than the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the blessings of God have to be handled, I think, with very, very much a lot of care, diligence, and humility because, and we know it can be done because we can look at Abraham. We can look at Isaac, we can look at Jacob and others who have, who have lots of wealth, right? Uh, but the young, the young ruler was, when he realized he was going to have to give up all of his wealth as, a, as, as his sacrifice, as, you know, as the cross that he would have to bear to follow the Messiah, as it were, he wasn't able to do it. So you know, I, I guess connecting that, it's yes, God, um, I believe God delights in blessing his people. Mm-hmm. By the same token, he'd much rather have you poor in serving him than rich and, and, and uh, you know, ultimately, you know, not have a place in the world to come. So, mm-hmm. well, a couple levels. On the first level, I think prayer and praise and an important part. When Yeshua gave us this example, he says, you know, you pray 
you know, you have earthly fathers and you ask them for bread, and they're not going to give you bread, they're not going to give you a stone. In the same way, we, we should recognize that we need to ask our Father uh, for the blessings, in addition to the blessings that we can expect for his, for his perfect justice. And this goes back to another thing. Our faith, founded upon Messianic, uh, Messianic Judaism or even Christianity, our faith, founded on Pharisaic Judaism, says that God is perfectly just. And over the span of time, when all is said and done, when it's weighed on the scales, to the molecule it will be perfectly balanced. Mm -hmm. That everything will be will be evened out. In our personal life, we're far too selfish sometimes to see the span of eternity, the span even of the wor this world, and recognize that God is God is far more judicious and just than we may see with our with our with That's our right. failed That's eyes. Right. And, why, and, do, why and do sinners? The wicked, the wicked are not blessed. Why do the wicked prosper? Because you know, you know, exactly. he hasn't chosen. Only in the shortest period of time. Yeah. We don't consider their end and right. and and the fact that they're just by grass. Their That's prosperity right. in this life is their reward. That's, That's right. right. And he has not chosen to. So it requires to. faith on the first on the first hand. It requires faith to us to believe that God is perfectly just in spite of what we see. Mm -hmm. Final comment on this point. Love your tie, by the way. I was going to return to the thought of the righteous suffering and what kind of a concept that is that they suffer for others. They, they don't suffer in vain, because that's a question that the Tanakh seeks to answer. Why do the righteous suffer? And that may seem kind of a strange idea of suffering for other people to atone. That, that can't be right. Until that sounds funky. Until you read in Colossians, actually, that very thought is enumerated by Paul, who is opposing people who are accusing him of suffering for his own sins. But then in Colossians 1, 24, Paul actually says, I am suffering and I rejoice in that because I'm filling up what is lacking exactly. of the afflictions of Messiah. And there's a theory out there, and it's a good one, of the messianic woes, where there's a certain, not quota, but there's the idea, and Paul, being a Pharisee, is completely comfortable with this, that his sufferings on behalf of those to whom he is writing are actually preserving them in the world, and not only them, it extends beyond them. So it's not a strange kind of mystical idea. It's Paul through and through. So what would be spared from in the years in the 1940s and 50s because we had such an awful suffering amongst the people? I hate it when you add these personal notes. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course you can. Go ahead. As long as he's experienced miscarriage in life. And it is difficult. And it's hurt. And you blame yourself. What did I do wrong? What could I have missed? How did I not do, you know, God, what did I do wrong? You know, these verses can be painful, especially yeah. if you take the health and wealth prosperity idea that if you've just done it all right, you've been okay. You'd be fine, sure. And so, you know, it comes back to that faith and that. God, you knew when I needed to have children, which children that I needed to have, and all those things. And so it, it does come back to the faith and the trust issue. Amen. That's exactly right. And if, if we look at it strictly in black and white, we miss the vast majority of the Word of God. Would you turn, please, to chapter 26, the beginning of our portion, and verse, <laughs> and verse 2, now that we've gotten uh, past verse 1. Uh, Hamakom asher yik yichar Adonai 
Elochecha, the place that the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess it. This is the place where he will put his name. Nine times in the word of God we read of God choosing to place his name somewhere. How many of you have uh, expressed your faith in keeping the Torah, Messianic Judaism, whatever you want to call it, and the flippant and quick response from those in the visible representations of the church is something to the effect of either are you going to be stoning your children or are yes. you going to make sacrifice in the backyard? Yes. How many of you heard yeah, sacrifice yeah. in the backyard? Thing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> can you find a place where it says that we can only make sacrifice in Jerusalem? No, you cannot. It is not in the Word of God. But over and over again, in fact, nine different times, God makes it clear, as he does here, that he will choose a place where he will put his name. That place we see after the Torah in the Tanakh is, in fact, Jerusalem. So, if you're interested, four times in Deuteronomy 12, three times in Deuteronomy 16, once in 17, and the last time in the Torah and in the Bible. It's 26.2 that you're reading right here. Although Yeshua affirms that in John 4. Exactly right. I'm sorry. That's exactly right. And, and so there, there should be no question in your mind that not only is his people special, not only is Israel, the land special, but specifically... God chose to place his name in Jerusalem, and it too is special. So, uh, what do you think about this uh, this whole ritual deal? I, maybe you're not into rituals, I don't know. But what do you think about this ritual of coming up with a basket of fruit and vegetables, sitting it down in front of some guy wearing a turban, and kind of standing up? My father was a wandering Aramean. <laughs> And going through this little spiel. Don't you think that's a little, you know, and you, you finish, you know, he does his blessing deal, you know, you grab your basket, you walk, you're going to have a party now. And as you're walking away, you hear the next guy step up. My father was a wanderer. <laughs> Doesn't it get a little old? What do you think about that? It seems kind of plastic to me. Help me understand. I love it. You love it. I love it because this whole passage is about this idea that God did it. Yes! All this time, you've been wanting, waiting for the land, you've been wanting to come to the land, now you're finally in the land, and you're not just bringing up, you know, the fruits you bought at Harris Teeter. These are the olives from the land. These are the figs from the land. These are the visible representation of God's fulfilled promises. Ladies and gentlemen, this man gets it! So when they come up, <laughs> when they come up, to say this, this statement, it is first and foremost a recognition that what I have was given me by God. Amen. And then secondly, all of this little, you know... The diddle you wrote. This little thing. It's so cool that the entire nation repeats the exact same thing because as, as we see in the Exodus Haggadah, which this passage, by the way, is linked to that, yes. and you can read that in your commentary, um, 
access to data, it talks about the idea that you, you need to, as though every person came out of Egypt. And when you go through the Pesach Seder, it says, you personally had come out of Egypt. So by saying this, they have, each person of Israel is personalizing the idea that God has provided for them, and he has fulfilled his promises. And there it is. Folks, this is our faith. This is our faith. Woman walks up to me and she says, so you're Jewish. Well, no, but I practice Judaism. So you're a Jew. Well, no, I'm a Christian, actually. But we practice Judaism. So you're weird. And I said, yes, that's, that's exactly right. And so I, I, can't, I can't be a Jew because I was born an Italian Gentile. So for me to claim now that I'm a Jew, I deny the vast majority of the blessing my God gave to my forefather Abraham, whose family I've been adopted into. The fact that I am not a Jew is a fulfillment of that very promise. So that I too can step up. My father was a wandering Aramea. That's cool. I've been joined in. And I have a part now in that same blessing because this statement goes back to Abraham, which is where we come from. One, sir? So to me, because they're all saying the same thing, it, sounded, it sounds to me like they're reporting in. <laughs> Captain Wright reporting as a nursery. You know, Captain <laughs> I have 97 fruits and thank you, Lord. And the reason I say that is, is, is kind of what you say. You know, we talk about the blessing and all that, but, you know, we, they did get there. You know, now yeah. we're all here, brought in our, our yeah. fruits and yeah. all that. And, you know, I, I, my father was the one who so, here. So he was focusing more on the connection back to the faith. You're actually focusing more on a reporting in to say it was true. And I'm here to tell you, I've got the raisins to prove it. <laughs> I like that. A great perspective. Actually, in the same vein, because it, it ties this up, is... In the wilderness, at the end of this very parsha, God says, "Your feet, your shoes didn't wear out. You didn't eat bread. You didn't drink wine, in order that you may know that I am God." Right. So what is He doing? Is He's replaced it in the in the in the wilderness? They had no bread. He gave them manna. They had no wine. He gave them water from the rock. Right. They they had no meat. He gave them quail. birds from the sky. Right. Right. When they get to the land, He's going to provide for them. Didn't in, in wear pres- out. Huh? clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes. Their shoes didn't wear out. When they get to the land, he's going to provide for them all those things. All those same things through the land. Through the instead land. of coming from yes. the sky, it's coming yes. from the land. You'll have wine instead of water from the rock. You're going to have wine that you grow. Instead of instead of manna falling from heaven, you're going to grow grain grain for bread. You're going to have well olives as well. That's another issue. Mm. <laughs> the point here is though that God's provision. They're supposed to see, and Yeshua pointed this out as well. God's provision is present. Whether it's in the wilderness from the sky in a miraculous, obvious miraculous way, or whether it's or from the, the land. for the fruit of the land, yeah. these are tied together, yeah. and the blessings are contingent upon their obedience, the rain falling, and all those things, right. but it's still right. God providing, regardless. Yeah, I like it. I like that. So it ties back to Yeshua's statement, I got you, I got you, and I got you. So it ties back to Yeshua. I'm just trying to save the, uh, the blood in the armor. Um, <laughs> So it ties back to his statement, you saw him provide for you, you of all people, my people, you saw him provide for you in the wilderness from his very hand. 
Then later you saw him provide for you out of the very land that he gave you. Exactly. From the hand to the land. But let's remember, you survive, you exist by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which describes both of those in outstanding I love it. Yes? Matthew 6, uh, starting in verse 31, I believe Yeshua actually has this passage in mind. Mm -hmm. He says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall you eat? Or what shall you drink? Or what shall, you, what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom. And perhaps to the extent that he maybe had this passage about as we go right into the mm. bringing the, mm. the first the, the Maser, which right shows on. the first tithe. Yeah, yeah. How do we seek first the kingdom so that all the others can be added? Is you bring that first fruit. Oh, man. Mm. That'll preach for Did you catch it? You bring the <laughs> first fruit. Everybody's going, mm. and then you, yeah. uh, and then you really, it's all, I mean, I, I don't want to use the word obligate, but it's almost as though you then obligate God to yeah. make sure you are provided with it. Absolutely. I mean, you've stepped up. He must provide. That's good. I like that. I was just going to say that ties sort of into the rich person discussion as well, because when God's the one providing everything and you don't have it without a miraculous occurrence, it's easy to rely more on God when it's just everywhere. You know, that's what they say now. You, you can get whatever you need at a store and that's right. there's a disconnection now between right. God's hand and providing food and clothing and all that but God's hand, the land or yeah, it was cool for Israel. Israel that they had first seen God's provision first before the easier route of the land just providing it right. and I think that um, this passage is important because like, um, in a few verses later it'll talk about God punishing them because they didn't serve God in that's during the curse passage. They didn't serve God in joy and gladness. So then in, in the midst of all this suffering they will serve others. And I think that that's important here because where does God happen to these offerings and these this transmission of God provided for my forefathers, He provided for me, He did all this. It's in the midst of His blessing. And I think that's part of why we we, can, we say that Rakat on his own after we finish eating it is that constant reminder that in the midst of God's goodness have to remember where it came from. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I think that today, as men, it's a bit of a challenge sometimes because you go to work, you get a paycheck, you buy food for your family, Cause you pay for the mortgage. It's like, I worked for this, I earned this, it's my doing. But, um, but Deuteronomy get, 8 makes it clear that it is God who allows you to create wealth. Exactly. And I think that's one thing that um, God has been, my father -in -law makes at times you know, has, has been trying to teach me, and I sometimes listen to sometimes don't, is that. Um, the dollar signs are in his hands too and you know it's like that provision is going to come from him you know maybe my company will do better this month and I'll get a bonus maybe the hours will be really down and I won't get the overtime you know whatever it might be but he's the one he is the one who's that. manipulating all of that in his just wisdom and but but again when his, when his blessings are here we absolutely have to remember his goodness and and thank him in the midst of that Amen. You're right. Excuse me, gentlemen. Sir. All right. Um, just off of his point, uh, it was like the older generation, that first generation who got cast exactly. into the wilderness, right? They complained about not having food, right? And they, they wanted 
the food that they had in Egypt. You know, they, they were like, Egypt provided this food. They were trusting in Egypt. Right. They were like, Egypt is providing this, da, da, da. what do we eat now? This yeah. mana, what is it? You know? And now, you know, you have this newer generation, the covenant is being reiterated to them, and they're coming into the land, and all the provision is from El Amin, it's from Yah. You know, it's coming from the Most High. Please, sir. Just, I was going to say, one of the cool blessings is being able to partner with God in providing the wealth for our family, the food and everything. Because uh, I think it was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs that has a cool thing about when the people complain that's, so that's often. Chief Rabbi. Chief Rabbi, yeah. They complain so often when God was just giving them things. But then when all of it stopped and they actually started getting way more than they even needed was when the people were able to contribute to the building of the tabernacle and bringing all of the silver right. and the gold right. and the stop, things stop, necessary. Stop, 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 Exactly. Yeah, and so that, that, there's something to that. Entering the land and now it's like, well, we have to work the field. The field's mm -hmm. not just going to work itself. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a partnership with God Absolutely. in doing the things that he's commanded and then mm -hmm. the whole going, coming back to the blessing and the cursing thing. So Amen. I guess like the well. Cool. I was just going to let you know when you might have a question. Uh, what? Well, I was gonna. Okay. <laughs> well, I was gonna go there unless you stepped up. No, no, no. I, I, I step was up. Ready. Um, kind of what he was saying. The whole. Uh, All right. Is it? All right. Drive me nuts. Come on. Okay. So my children do not refer to my wife in the third person. She said this. No, no, no. My mother said this. So I realized he said that. But nobody on this tape is going to know who he is. Yeah, he gets a buy because he doesn't know who he is. But you do know who he is. So use his name. All right. Who is who and who is he? Gotcha. <laughs> base. Dog is so, as Joshua Spurlock. That's <laughs> fire. Uh, yeah. So as, as Joshua Spurlock said, he was talking about how you know it's easy to because of the disconnect now between us um, receiving the fruits of our labor and disconnect between how that's coming from God. Yes. Because in modern society, you know, we don't really see that as much. We don't till the land, at least most of us don't. Right. And if you do, it's, this is not the land. Right. So, Although it's sometimes some pretty good land. Right. So well, what I was going to say was it's, it's, it's really easy to forget that, but what helps you remember is if, if you do the do some of the prayers in the morning, there's one that you're just thanking him for breathing. That's right. Exactly right. And, and there, are, there are orifices in your body. That's exactly. right. Exactly. So or, or, or if you're if you're planting outside, right. you are praying for that rain, let me tell you. So it's kind of the same thought we were talking about earlier. If you're thanking God for breathing, how much more would you yeah. thank him Good. for Good. the ability to yes. you know, do whatever it is you need for I like it. I like it. Mrs. Traficant. <laughs> <laughs> Too slow. Okay. Mr. No, I'm sorry. Um, with regards to a lot of things, and it's not the answer to come out here, um, about blessing God and, well, the lack of blessing God is what, in, in prosperity, is what causes, you know, these problems. Because it's not that you, know, you have lack and you forget to thank God, it's just when you have too much. Um, and when I was in Israel, Ari Brahman's house, the Shabbat table, always. People. Yeshiva folk are there, and one of them was, it was actually the start of the year, um, and so Simchat Torah had come, you know, and Barashim was about to start, and there's all this talk about why does the Torah start with the fifth? And I said, 
Monolith and Link's theories, and one of them was that um, the bits in Fabraka, blessing, because, um, and I'm not going to say it as eloquently as this gentleman did, but something to the effect of that is what kicked us out of the land. We forgot the Bracha, we forgot the blessing. Um, and I think even in the Genesis, or sorry, Deuteronomy 8, it says, You shall eat and be satisfied, bless the Lord your God for the good land he gave you. Right. In that same context, I don't have, I didn't look it up just now, but um, doesn't it say, so you don't forget? Right. Yes. So that you don't say, My own hand to feed Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't put the uh, emphasis on the wrong syllable. That's exactly right. Yes? <laughs> I, I think there's another, another way to look at these blessings in, in the Torah portion. Uh, you can also understand them as really prophetic, right? As everything in the Torah has a prophetic element to it. And we see that in the Hop Torah, which is probably no reason why, probably a reason why they connected them to, right? Because in the Hop Torah, it's, it's all about um, in the Messianic times um, that Jerusalem would be restored and um, God's people would be honored, etc. And there's a particular verse, verse 11, um, your gates will be opened continuously day and night and they will not be closed for, for them, that is the nations, to bring you the wealth of the nations. So the blessings that are described in Deuteronomy 28 in this portion certainly can have a here and now you know, impact, and I heard they do. But I think there's also, uh, there's also a prophetic um, you know, undertone here as well that we see the prophet Isaiah you know, bringing out as it pertains to the Messianic days when all the nations will, will bring all the wealth um, up to Jerusalem and, and lay the feet of Messiah, um, and his people will be honored, etc., etc. And the nations that don't go get no rain. Right. And he mentions Egypt twice there. Right. So I'm going to call this a day and have you turn in the apostolic scriptures, which many of you don't have in your lap, so I'm going to read to you in Revelation chapter 21. I hope that as you were reading, the Haftarah in Isaiah 60, 61, 62, depending on whether you're doing the Ashkenazi, Sephardic, etc., you notice the references back that John used. Revelation chapter 21, in verse 15, the beloved apostle John is speaking of the new Yerushalayim, the one that will be inhabited by our master. And the one who spoke with me had, verse 15, a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod. 12,000 stadia. Sounds pretty big to me. Its length and width and height are equal. Sounds like a cube. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement, which is good to know if you happen to be amongst one of them. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. That's pretty pure. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, 
and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. By the way, that was all just prelude to get to what I'm at now. Look, this city's coming down out of heaven, the Shemayim, the air, is coming down to this planet. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. They are one and the same, evidently. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. That sounds amazingly like Isaiah. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, Isaiah 60. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, just as Greg said. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we could go on. Folks, I want to encourage you to read the back end of Revelation. And then go back and read a Haftarah from this week. So that you see, we got one Bible. We've got one story. We've got one God with one plan who has one people to whom we can be joined. It's one big story from beginning to the end. We started in the garden, and we blew it. And he's fixed it. And when the time of the Gentiles is done, he will come back to his place, the place where he put his name, and he will draw all of his children from the original sheepfold and that other sheepfold to the same place. And he will reign as King Messiah. Amen? Amen. But Father, we thank you for the word of God, for the opportunity to gather together in this country while we still have the privilege to do so. I pray, Father, as we toy with venues and formats, that we would not be so callous as to recognize your hand of blessing in our lives, allowing us to meet and to gather together to encourage one another, to work and to worship with each other. Father, I'm so grateful for the people that you've gathered here. and pray a special blessing on them. As the last week or week and a half of Elul, the last week, of the last month happens in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would rest on our hearts anyone with whom we've potentially damaged or offended, and that you would find us faithful to make it right as we approach you, even symbolically, to worship with an offering of praise on our lips. I pray, Father, that you would find these in this room, including me, faithful to lay our gift down for a moment and to make right with your children, with your people, with our fellow man. And then, with joy and gladness, to pick up that gift and present it to you with a whole and transparent heart. I pray that we'll come together for a wonderful, joyous, dancing kind of time on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, that you would be pleased with our worship of you. 
We thank you for the rest that you provided for us. And we ask, Father, that you would be pleased with our rest as the rest of the day is provided to each one. We pray these things in B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Aramea. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah and our Lord, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. God bless you.